Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm feeling quite like heavy. I Ooh. just had like a really spicy Vietnamese curry actually. It's the kind of thing where like it feels good while you're eating it and like it's quite oily and stuff and you know you're going to feel kind of grim afterwards. But it's not like a it's not like a bad kind of grim. It's like a grim where like you just feel like tired and like sluggish. And there's something like satisfying about being in that sort of state. You know what I mean? I think it's quite a nice day to be in at nighttime. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate being in that state at lunchtime. Yeah, dude, that's the worst. <laughs> it's like literally the worst thing ever. The day, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to sit upright at a bloody desk and you know, like do some work, do some work, <laughs> type some calls. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I um that's how I physically feel. Um, I think mentally I'm I'm good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound particularly convincing. I had a I had a. I had a call with a customer, a call or customer, um, who I'm helping get onboarded about uh, two hours ago, maybe. And there, there was some, look, I'll be honest with you. I'll put my hands up. There were some bugs in the product that came up and I'm still recovering from like the <laughs> embarrassment slash annoyance of like being on a call with a customer and like stuff not working live and having to like sit through that. So what's that like? Can you paint the picture for those of us that don't create software that has bugs in it? <laughs> right. <laughs> All for those of us that that, that create software. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. I think it's uh it's a feeling of like embarrassment. So like what does it look like? You're on a Zoom call with someone. You're on a, then... Yeah, you're on a Zoom call, they're sharing their screen. You tell them to hit the refresh button on on their uh on their data source uh to like pull in the latest data. And then it's and then it says loading and you're like, okay, that's good. We show a loading indicator, you know, the good stuff. It's loading, it's loading. And then it keeps loading. And then it keeps loading some more. And then you're like, oh crap, that means that probably means it's not working. And then and then you tell the customer, hey, yeah, sorry about that. Maybe if we just try refreshing the page, um, I think that, you know, that maybe that'll fix it. Okay. <laughs> and then, and well, then you try and tell them to, to turn the computer on and off <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Deep down you know that okay, that's not gonna do anything. Yeah, so you tell them to refresh, refresh the page and then that still doesn't fix it. And then you know that like okay this actually we can't fix this and like we're just gonna have to like gloss over this thing that we were planning to cover on the call because like that thing is not working in the product and you kind of tell them like oh you know our our, our engineering team on the case yeah we'll 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 sort out after the call yeah don't worry about it we can uh, we can move on kind of thing but it's just like embarrassing it's embarrassing and then it's like annoying because you feel hard done by i feel hard done by (laughs) Why do, you, why do you feel hard done by? <laughs> because because <laughs> it feels like it was out of my control. I didn't look. I don't work on the engineering side of things. Yeah, bugs are like a you know they're gonna happen. Like it's just a, it's an inevitability. Okay. You know, it's it's just part of life. Fine. And so you 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 kind of confronted with this thing, which you know really is nobody's fault. <laughs> it like well, <laughs> your engineering team might have <laughs> I have thoughts about that um and yeah you've just gotta like yeah keep a straight face and stay professional and yeah and then feel feel bad afterwards <laughs> so do you do you feel a sense of annoyance that oh why like a, a sense of blaming your engineering team for being incompetent and therefore having bugs is that like a thought that goes through your mind at all i don't think it's incompetence it's like we you know there, there are trade-offs to wanting to do things quickly. And I think, you know, if, if we want to do things quickly, there's going to be bugs. And yeah, it's annoying when it comes up. And we just need to try and make sure that the bugs are in the less important stuff and not in the important stuff. Why, why are bugs even a thing? Oh, dude, I don't know. I, I, I always <laughs> wanted this. I always wanted because, this. Because, like, the code should theoretically work. Like, yeah. Because I remember back in the days when, when you and I were coding away on BMAT Ninja and things, circa 2015... There'd be a bug, but it would the bug would stop the whole thing from working and you'd figure out where it is because there'd be a missing semicolon. Yeah. It wouldn't be a case of the the thing is working and this is one very specific use case which causes a very specific bug. But from what I'm, from what I've read of like developers stuff and like game developers, these random bugs just 
prop up where like a wall is not actually a wall in World of Warcraft and people are like, you know, there are game testers that are out to explore every inch of the polygonal surface to figure out are there any bugs here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not too like clued up on this stuff personally. I, they, someone's probably created a classification of types of bug that you can have in software. Okay. But I think particularly when you have like multiple systems interacting, for example, if we're refreshing data from an external data source, like yes. an accounting system, then, you know, there's a bunch of idiosyncrasies of their system. And that if, uh, if that, you know, combines with the idiosyncrasies of your system, you might end up in a, in a state that uh, you haven't really thought of before. And then, yeah. We had a really annoying bug problem uh, in, in, the, in the last cohort of our part-time YouTuber Academy. Yeah. We, we, we were uh, trialing this new house system where we split up all 400 people in the cohort, all 600 people in the cohort into houses, 20 houses of 30 people. Okay. And we asked them to select what times they could do. And then we all had got all those times in a spreadsheet. Uh, and we figured that we manually painstakingly assigned people to houses based on kind of numbers and based on experience level and based on what times they said they could do. Mm. Um, and then, you know, after Angus spent like a whole 48 hours kind of doing this painstakingly, and finally we published the house allocations, yeah, yeah. we started getting a barrage of emails being like, um, I've been allocated to a house that's not the right time. Uh, why am I in this time? Can I move time? Can I move time? Can I? Yeah. And like a couple of times, you know, for the first three or four people, we were like, oh, you know, they probably filled, filled the form in wrong. They didn't yeah. realize they ticked Wednesday, the, yeah. uh, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. But yeah. actually, they user error. <laughs> yeah, user error. And then they kept on coming and we were like, hang on, what the hell is going on? Why are so, why is yeah. so many people not getting allocated to the right houses? Mm. We did a little bit of a investigating, a bit of a, a post-mortem, <laughs> like frantically be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Turns out that when one of the customers submitted their form, they're like, Wi-Fi cut out halfway through. So they joined a new network and then Google Sheets or whatever the type form thing yeah. resubmitted the form. Yeah. And then our data team on the back end, which is not in-house, which is we've outsourced, saw a duplicate entry and deleted the duplicate entry. But it turns out that that caused a frame shift for every single person's houses beyond that, where the house allocations were like oh, in like, a different yeah, line yeah. to yeah. the actual data oh, the for name, the individual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that was just a... How, how the hell did... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And afterwards, you're like, okay, there's literally no way we could have foreseen that. Yeah, um, yeah. And like, <laughs> therefore, all we can do next time is just double check rand up 20% of the records to just yeah. make sure everything is working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was so frustrating. And I was like... I get why this happened. Yeah. And it's really annoying that it happened, yeah. but there's literally nothing I could have done about it. Right, nothing exactly, anyone could have yeah. done about it. Yeah. And you just got to deal with it and be like, look, really sorry, you guys. Yeah. What did you <laughs> New email. Did you feel embarrassed? It was more like embarrassment on behalf of the operations team. Okay. Because, and, 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 and in my mind, it was a like, how the hell did this happen? Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And then I realized, well, you know, everyone's trying their best. Like there's, mm. there's no malice here. And therefore I let it go. Right. And then when we found out afterwards exactly what happened, I was like, okay, like you can't legislate for things like that. Yeah, yeah. But we try. Yeah, that's just a inevitability. Anyway, that's me. How are you doing? You just got back from a little trip to Monaco? Yeah, went to Monaco for a couple of days. Um, What's the deal with Monaco? What's the deal with Monaco? <laughs> that was a Jerry Seinfeld impression. Oh, yeah. okay. Anyway. I, I used to say what's the deal with X quite a lot um, yeah. at, at uni. It, it became almost a, a meme. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and even these days. I, you know, on like a group holiday with a medic friends, I'd be like, what's the deal with Marmite? And then everyone would laugh, be like, oh, Hallie. <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah. Anyway, what's the deal with Monaco? Monaco is like a random country. Mm. Oh, it's it, a country. I thought it was a city. No, it's a, I think it's an official country. It's like, oh, okay. it's sort of like the Vatican. Oh, it's like a country city. It's like a country city. Yeah. And it's within France in the sense that like to get to Monaco, you fly to Nice. Yeah. And then you take a taxi or a train to Monaco. Oh. And the train station in Monaco is actually technically part of France. Oh. And so there was some weirdness with the taxi company because of COVID. It's a French-based taxi company. So they're not allowed to pick anyone up from Monaco unless it's at the station, which oh, is technically okay. part of France. Oh, okay. nice, nice. <laughs> and so they picked us up from the station in France as opposed yeah. to two meters down the road, right. which was technically <laughs> in Monaco. Um, but Monaco is a bit of a weird place. Uh, it's ruled by the prince. And apparently, like, really? uh, it's, it's very much a uh, the, the monarchy rules and decides what goes on. Yeah. Uh, and whatever they say goes okay. or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, there's tons and tons of ton, tons of super, super, super rich people. Mm. Um, the Monaco Yacht Show it was, is happening about a week from now. Yeah. Um, and so there were tons and tons of yachts at the harbor and they were building all this stuff. Uh, I didn't know how much yachts cost. Do you know how much yachts cost? I think like tens, sometimes hundreds of millions. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was just completely absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we got there on, on, on day one, I posted a story and some, some dude called Octavian replied to us being like, hey, you know... 
oh, it's cool. It's so cool that you're in my city. Yeah. So I replied being like, can you show us around? And he was yeah. like, oh my God, hell yes. Yeah. And then he hopped on a train from his, where he actually lives in France because you yeah. can't actually live in Monaco because it's too expensive. Oh. Uh, hopped on a half an hour train, joined us and just hung out with us for the whole day and showed us around. Yeah. And he's like super into yachts. Okay. Um, and like supercars and stuff. And I was like, so you know that, that yacht over there, how much, how much does that cost? He was like, oh, you know, maybe about, um, uh, maybe about 300. Yeah. And I was like, 300 what? It was like, oh, 300 million. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you know, just to say, was like, yeah, that was about 300 million. That one's about 200. Oh, that one's a small one. And that's only about 45 million. And you can mm. see like these, they've got these, you know how you've got estate agents and they have houses outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't see any of those, but we saw yachts. <laughs> and so it would be like a little, a little boat, like yeah. 33M, wow. <laughs> like 43M, yeah. 80, 84M, or oh, 12M. Oh, you know, that's a bit, oh, yeah. that's a bit affordable. affordable yeah. And apparently if you want to rent a yacht for a week, we were like, how much does it cost to rent a yacht for a week? He was like, oh, you know, about 120 a week. I was like, he was like 120,000. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this, is, this is completely not doable. Um, and in the Monaco Yacht Show, all of the super yachts from around the world go to this like, you know, uh, measuring contest right, right, yeah. <laughs> for, for about a week. And um, it's, it's, it's sort of like a garden show, but just 18 orders of magnitude yeah, more yeah. expensive than that. So that was kind Wild. of interesting. Did you go on, did you like stroll around any yachts? Can you do like a little viewing? Um, possibly. We didn't really because around, around the harbor, there was so much construction because it's like such a huge event. So the, the views weren't actually great. And there were just like tons and tons of yachts that were just moored there. Yeah. Um, Monaco is also have, famously has the Monte Carlo Casino. Monte Carlo? Yeah. Nice. Which previously I'd only ever used uh, in an articulate clue. <laughs> Be like, I think it's somewhere in France and there's also a statistical simulation based after it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But now I know that it's a casino. It's like an area of Monaco yeah. where there's a famous casino. Yeah. And this casino is, is like where all the borders go. Hmm. And famously, this casino has a car park. But if you have a really fancy car, they'll park it out the front of the casino. Oh, nice. Okay. And so we saw a Bugatti Chiron, Chiron, something like Chiron? that. Chiron? Yeah. Not Veyron. Not Veyron, okay. which was the thing in Top Gear 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently they've moved on and now Bugatti ah. Chiron, okay. which is the fastest car in the world, uh, possibly most expensive car in the world. It was apparently $1.5 million uh, as... Uh, Octavian, our guide, and also Matt, who was our videographer trial. They, oh, okay. they just spotted like, oh my God, that's a $1.5 million yeah. car. Car guides, yeah. Um, and it was just parked outside and people were taking photos with it and stuff. Yeah. So what's the vibe? Like, it seems like it's like a playground for all these rich people. What do they get up to? What's what's nice about it, apart from there being other rich people? Um, so I went I went over there to interview a chap called Oliver, mm. who is the founder of MyProtein, mm. which uh, he sold in 2010 or something like that to this group that acquires stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, this guy now has a net worth of over 350 million pounds. And so the tagline of his book, which he was felt super cringe about, it's called Bootstrap Your Life, which is a book that he's written about life and business and entrepreneurship and stuff. Mm. And the tagline is how to turn 500 pounds into 350 million pounds. Okay. Yeah. And I mentioned that tagline to him. He was like, look, I'm really sorry about that. You I don't want to be clickbaity about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um, but I asked him why he lives in Monaco. Uh, the obvious reason is, is tax. Which he didn't mention. He was like, "Well, it's not. It's 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 not the obvious. Apparently, Monaco is a tax haven. Okay, yeah. Um, that's not. That's not why. It's apparently not why Oliver lives there. Right. Um, he said the reason he lives there is because a, it's really really safe. Um, and if you're like a, a high rich guy, if you're if you're like a ridiculously rich guy, you have to worry about like bodyguards and stuff in oh, most okay. of the world. Yeah. Whereas in Monaco, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Because it's like one of the safest places in the world. Right. Um, it's really like connected to all of Europe. It's like a really nice place to just hang out. Um, mm. apparently everyone there. Uh, he, he, he said that in, in the UK, it can sometimes feel lonely because all his mates have jobs. All his mates are broke. <laughs> <laughs> all his mates have jobs. Right. Uh, whereas in Monaco, it seems like yeah, yeah, yeah. no one really has a proper job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what living in London seems to be like. Um, and so, yeah, genuinely, it's, it, seem, it seems like an interesting place to be. Okay, okay. If you're into that kind of stuff. Nice. How did your interview go? Was it good? It was good, yeah. He talked a lot about a lot of stuff, about his early, early, early days. Um, it, 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 it was interesting like he he, he started my protein in like 2002 mm. um and was a web developer before then mm. um his story his story is super super interesting you know um raised in like a council estate in manchester single mom mm. kind of vibes um and then left school with one gcse nearly got sent to prison for like pirating dvds and stuff wow um, got arrested by the Federation Against Copyright Theft, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, wow. <laughs> Became a web designer and developer and then had the idea of when he got into bodybuilding 
to that like he, he figured out that maxi muscle was selling whey protein for like 30 quid a can yeah um and he was like what is whey protein he did some did some research found out it was just a um a waste product of the dairy industry yeah. so he called up some farmers he were like can i just buy a sack of whey off of you yeah and they were like all right it's like six quid for a, a, a sack of it yeah <laughs> rather than 600 quid for a sack of it like yeah, maxi yeah, muscle yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. and then he went into his garage and like would put whey powder and artificial sweeteners in a yeah. bucket okay. and keep on trial and improvement <laughs> nice. until it tasted good. Love it. And then he made a website and was selling it like direct to consumer before that was cool. Mm. I had to integrate with SagePay and stuff to accept payments. Yeah. Had to build his own e-commerce thing before like Shopify and WordPress and stuff was a yeah, thing yeah, particularly. Yeah. Um, and then started advertising on like um, men's bodybuilding type forums mm. uh, mm. in back in the heyday yeah, forums. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it was immediately profitable from day one. Got like Sick. convinced the bank to give him an overdraft of of two hundred quid to buy his first sack of whey protein, <laughs> <laughs> wow. and then the business just kept on growing at that point. And now is this guy's yeah. worth like freaking three hundred fifty million? That's a real. It was it was it was really interesting. It. Yeah, yeah. I bought I bought some my protein. I think I bought some when I was like uh, seventeen or something. Yeah, I I have dabbled with it at one point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I always liked the branding. The branding seemed like nice and simple and stuff. Mm. Um, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of brand I can get behind. Yeah. yeah. It's now a $7 billion company, apparently. I was acquired by this this company called the Hut Group, which specializes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. sort of like a PE firm-ish, but mm. it's like they acquire e-commerce companies and then put them onto their proprietary e-commerce right. platform thingy yeah. and then grow them, which seems kind of cool. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of sacks of whey. A lot of sacks of whey, exactly. Nice. Why did you fly out to Monaco for this thing? For this interview, that seems like a lot of work for an interview for your podcast or something. Mm, yeah, I was I was wondering this myself when it was like I had to wake up at four in the morning to. I was like, why why are we doing this? Yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's something sort of a little bit romantic and glamorous about the idea of like going going somewhere, like yeah, you're just going on a, like an arbitrary business trip. <laughs> yeah, it was extremely arbitrary business gla- <laughs> glamorous. Yeah, maybe. I mean to be honest. <laughs> When so we, we we emailed the guy because he he had a book that came out and we wanted to interview him for the podcast and he replied very kindly being like hey I mean I'm in Monaco right now feel free to come over to my place and we can do the interview yeah and so at the time which was about three or four weeks ago or maybe about six weeks ago we we're like yeah why not that sounds fun yeah and booked the flights and it was one of those things where as like as you get closer and closer to it especially because I spent the previous week in Croatia yeah and then the thought of coming home for like. A day and then going out traveling again i was yeah. I, I was thinking this to myself on the train on the train to the airport that yeah. like you know a, f- a few years ago i would have thought this is the absolute dream being able yeah. to jet around different parts of the yeah, world yeah, at, a, yeah. at a moment's it notice nice. yeah. it's it sounds really nice but in my sleep deprived state at five o'clock in the morning where, where i'd gotten three hours of sleep i was like why the hell did i agree to this yeah yeah <laughs> um it was a worthwhile trip i think it's one of those things where like i'm glad i did it but the process of getting there was uh, okay. a bit was a bit arduous okay it was, it was kind of fun and we do, we, this is, this is sort of what we envisioned with this new podcast that we'd want to interview people in person, ideally, rather than over Zoom. Yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah. It does make a difference. It's good for the vibes. And if that involves flying to a cool place, making a vlog out of it, making a day out of it, hanging yeah. out with the team, play. that would be quite fun. Yeah. So it was me, Angus and Amber who were there from our team and this guy called Matthew, who we were trialing as a videographer. Cool. Um, yeah, I just emailed him. I think it was last week it'd be being like hey so we've shortlisted you for our videographer role how do you fancy an all expenses pay trip to monaco yeah uh, and this guy actually lives in france it was like oh, oh i actually live in france so yeah. i can fly over there to, yeah. to meet you guys yeah so that worked really nicely and he's cool sounds like fun yeah good trip overall to be honest we spent most of it in the in the hotel on our laptops yeah <laughs> as, as one does sounds like your dream <laughs> <laughs> my, my dream yeah. holiday yeah genuinely so the previous week uh, we were in croatia with some friends how did you find that? That was a dream as well. We were in Dubrovnik, which has got very much, um, well, it's where King's Landing in Game of Thrones was filmed. For those of you who have uh, seen seen Game of Thrones, I know you haven't. You're really missing out. I haven't, yeah. Um, uh, I, I like that thing that you said on day one where like walking through the city, it feels like you're bloody Socrates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like Dubrovnik has this like old city, which is like surrounded by these sort of high stone walls. And then like, all the streets are kind of made of this sort of like white stone. All the buildings are kind of made of this white stone. And there seems to be someone who's enforcing, um, you know, some kind of aesthetic preference for what you can and can't do. And so all like the shutters on the windows, like uh, looking inward to the street are like the same shade of green and stuff like that. And it, it just looks like so beautiful and like, and like really, really sort of old, like very natural materials, basically. Like, you know, if you walk around London, 
you see, I mean, you know, London definitely has like a ton of old buildings, which is super nice. But also, yeah, if you, if you walk around any kind of like major met- metropolis, right, you'll see a lot of glass, you'll see a lot of like metal, you know, you'll see a lot of like colors that don't really exist in nature, you know, like, but I think walking around like the old, old city of Dubrovnik, like you, there's something special about it, you know, it feels like that, that's how humans were meant to live, yep. you know, <laughs> like it just, it, it felt so right. Yeah, there was there was a, a I think a sense of community and a sense of like camaraderie with everyone there, uh, that resulted from like being in this physical space that was so right. You know, it's like it's how God intended us to live. I really I really think that like in cities made of stone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> natural natural materials. You know, correctly proportioned. Uh, you know, the right kind of density of like streets and stuff like that. You know, just just walking, you know, no cars, you know, obviously. Um, yeah, it was just like so nice. I think so far of every every like city type of place I've ever been to, I think it's definitely my favorite. Yeah. And then like, you, you know, there'd be like random sort of it seemed like every day there was some kind of wedding going on and they'd kind of like parade through the through the street. And then you would have these like a uh, band of like guitar people playing along and singing and stuff. Yeah, that was and, a great like, vibe. Yeah, this is just such a great vibe, and you you really feel like you're part of the, the part of like the community, you know. And and I do think it's like the the physical surroundings that make that create that sense. Yeah, it was weird. Like I got I got the feeling when we got into this old city, it's it felt like being indoors, but not being indoors because the walls were so high. Yeah, and it was all made of stone and stuff. Yeah, it felt like in in Japan as well. They have these sort of outdoor indoory type areas mm. where it's it's not really covered, but it really feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, like you're in an indoor yeah, right. bit surrounded by yeah. shops on either side, and it's yeah. just kind of nice. Um, so that was very much the feeling. And again, just sitting on laptops most of the day in a local coffee shop overlooking the sea. Yeah, which is how God intended us to live. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you find the trip? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I was just like so blown away by the city. Like I'd never been to anywhere that like looked like that. And I, th- I think I, yeah, I need to go back. I need to find more places that look like that. Hmm. Yeah, really special. Yeah, fair play. Um, do we ha- have a thing to actually talk about in this episode or are we chit-chatting? It has been a few weeks since we've done an episode despite previously pledging to consistency. Yeah. I feel like this has mostly been your fault. Why? Because the recurring event is there in the calendar and I'm always free. Yeah. And you randomly spread, oh, sorry, I'm out at dinner with person X. And you never tell me because you don't respect the calendar invite. I yeah, think that's, that's unacceptable. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, look, I, I feel like my life is um, kind of all over the place these days because here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Okay. But that doesn't mean you don't respect calendar invites. Okay. No, no, no. I agree. I should respect the calendar invite more. Yeah. Uh, but I think because I spend like half the week in St. Albans and half the week in London, I feel like whenever I'm in London, like there's always like, I, yeah, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like there's always... <laughs> like, what was me? I've got too many friends in London. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of like... We could do this podcast like earlier in the day. It doesn't have to be on a Wednesday evening. You haven't got a proper job. I haven't got a proper job. There's literally 24 hours, 16 hours in the day where we can feasibly record a podcast any day of the week. Why don't you just choose to schedule it at a time where you're more and more likely to be free? Yeah, that could work actually. Maybe do like Wednesday mornings. Wednesday mornings work for me. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's actually a better idea. Send me a calendar invite. Yeah, I think evenings are always high in demand. And then I feel like there's lots of, you know, commitment. I have so I have like a bunch of like, you know, close friends who I haven't seen in a really long time. And I, I don't know where, I, where I'm going to find the time to kind of meet up with them, <laughs> you know? Yeah, mate, I'm done for doing Wednesday mornings. <laughs> yeah, okay, we should do that. We also haven't set up the weekly badminton thing that we said we would do. Yeah, well, you know, I've had a lot of things going on. <laughs> Too many friends to hang out with. Yeah. I think in fairness, we have been, I have been traveling. Yeah. And so, as for you. But, oh, speaking of, well, not really speaking of, one thing I want to get your take on if we're doing a general chit chat is you know how I've been looking for an office for the team. Yeah. I realized after viewing some offices the other day that I don't actually want an office for the team. What I want is a studio space, which we can set up like a permanent YouTube studio and permanent podcast studio in. Yeah. And then for the team to sort of be in a co-working space, like right, we work right, or yeah. equivalent, um, where, whereby maybe on Mondays and Wednesdays where we have a work from the office day yeah, yeah, yeah. where we can do brainstorming and all the yeah. creative type stuff. Yeah. And then the rest of the time, like if they want to nice. hang out. Yeah, that sounds out. great. That Otherwise, sounds like a good setup. Yeah. Um, and so I was looking around the, this, this is really like really, really nice co-working space in London called Fora. Have you come across it? Yeah. Yeah. I used to work out of, yeah, oh, really? yeah, the company I worked for had, had a floor of a yeah, Fora. That's yeah. so nice. It's really nice. Yeah. It's like fantastic it's, vibes. It's it like great, immaculate, yeah. immaculate vibes. Yeah. Um, and in a four-hour office, it's like they, they charge £750 per desk per month. 
And so like a box, so a room like maybe half the size of this living room mm. would cost about 3,000 pounds a month to rent. Okay. And the size of this living room would be like a 10 person office, which would cost like eight, eight to 10,000 pounds per month to rent. And I was thinking, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, 10K a month, we can spend this. And then Angus pointed out while we were in Monaco that, hang on, if you just want a studio space, why don't we just rent a flat? Yeah. Because like even 5K a month for a flat gets you a hell of a yeah, lot of yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. Whereas 5K a month gets you jack shit in terms yeah, of the yeah, office yeah. space. I guess because of the difference in pricing between like commercial and residential mm. stuff. And so then that just completely changed my whole perspective on the office thing. Yeah. Because before I, I been like over the last few weeks, I've just always assumed, oh, I guess we need a, mm. an office. Yeah. Uh, what else do you do out of? And just not realizing you can actually just rent a flat yeah, and yeah, just convert yeah. it into a little studio. Yeah. So that's probably what we're going to do. Um, and we're going to try, potentially we're thinking of Angus living in the flat as like, get, get like a, you know, 5K a month, three bed flat in central London or something like that. Yeah. Angus lives in one of the bedrooms and we just have the other two as like a podcast studio and a YouTube studio. Yeah. And the living room is for whatever. Yeah, that sounds great. So that might actually work. And yeah. then we'll just give every team member a, a, co a hot desk membership to WeWork or Fora or something yeah. if we need like the office yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good like way of, exploiting some asymmetries and like, when lucas and i were like looking for a sort of causal company place um we kind of found the same thing where you know for what for whatever amount of money you could get like a crappy office thing or you can get like a sick apartment and i think basically if your team is small um if your team is small enough to be able to fit into an apartment um so like i don't know less than 10 people i guess um then it's just it's just so much more optimal like you can just get a way nicer place um, for a small team, if mm. it's like an apartment, I don't know how most apartment places feel about it officially being. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, if your team is small, you can get away. With yeah. It. No. Exactly. Yeah. A, a few of the places that I've looked, where um, were speaking to the estate agent, like, oh, so what? You know, what's what we going to be using to, using the space for? Yeah. You're like, yeah, we're thinking of turning into a YouTube studio. They'd be like, oh, hang on, uh, we have clauses against like commercial right, uses, yeah. and I'm like, oh, sorry, I mean. I'm going to live here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to film in my bedroom, <laughs> which I've been doing for, for years and yeah. no one should have a problem with that. Yeah. I'll yeah. be in my bedroom making no noise <laughs> yeah. and pretending I don't exist. It's like a Harry Potter reference nice. for the uninitiated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the, uh, the sort of optimal setup really mm. for a small team. Yeah. And then I was thinking that, oh, but, but then like, why don't I just live in the flat? And then I was like, okay, okay now I'm like, I think I do want some level of like mm, separation. separation between work and life. Yeah, yeah. And it's, quite nice it would it would be quite nice to have my own space but then to also within like walking slash cycling distance have a place where the cameras and the lights and the microphones and everything are set up yeah um to be able to do the podcast or our new podcast or video videos or things like that yeah i have a i have a couple of other things i want your thoughts on really uh i started okay. reading a book called it doesn't have to be crazy at work ah by our mutual <laughs> friends <laughs> david and jason yeah <laughs> Can you give some context about David and Jason before I, while I, while I find my highlights? This is uh, David Heinemar Hansen or something, DHH yeah. and Jason Freed. Uh, they founded a company called uh, 37 Signals a long time ago, which is now called Basecamp. They make a project management tool, a uh, uh, website uh, kind of thing. They have, they have a website. And uh, they've been opining on sort of company building type topics for quite a while. And they're, they've historically had like fairly contrarian views about how a tech company should be built and company culture and things like this. And um, they've kind of always very much gone against the grain uh, when it comes to like how hard you should be working. And, you know, like in the summer, everyone in the, their company works like a four day week and like, er, you know, their working hours are like super chill and like it's all remote. I think they were like really big on the remote thing, um, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, th I think broadly their like, their whole shtick is that like work should be work and like companies shouldn't expect employees to like be dedicating their lives to this thing and like working crazy hours and stuff like that. Um, so that's that's always been kind of their spiel. And I guess this uh, this is one of the books that they've written, which I guess is kind of elaborating on that point. Yeah, basically that's the whole spiel. Um, but there's an interesting like chapter two or three or something is called Our Goal, No Goals. Um, and I think my philosophy on goal setting has been very much shaped by the Kool-Aid I've been drinking from, from these guys. Oh, really? Uh, and so for quite a while, when I first started kind of reading all the blog posts and stuff, probably a few years ago, I've been very anti-goal setting. And then in the last year or, or so, as I've read more about goal setting and the values of it, I've become more pro-goal setting. And I keep on kind of flip-flopping mm. between these states of like, screw goals versus, oh, goals are actually important. Yeah. That kind of thing. 
I think when it comes to the business in particular, and, and I guess the analogies here extend to personal life as well. When it comes to business, um, a lot of the kind of operating systems for running a business, you know, there's this one that we've been following called the entrepreneurial operating system. They're all very much based on goals, mm -hmm. like quarterly metrics and goals and et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to just read out a little bit from, from our goal, no goals. I'm curious to get your take on it. Um, quarterly goals, yearly goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. We grew 14% last quarter, so let's aim for 25% growth this time. Let's hire our 100th employee this year. Let's get that cover story so they finally take us seriously. The wisdom of setting business goals, always striving for bigger and better, is so established that it seems like the only thing left to do is debate whether the goals are ambitious enough. So imagine the response when we tell people that we don't do goals at all. No customer count goals, no sales goals, no retention goals, no revenue goals, no specific profitability goals other than to be profitable seriously. This anti-goal mindset definitely makes Basecamp an outcast in the business world, part of the minority, the ones who simply don't get how it works. We get how it works. We just don't care. <laughs> we don't mind leaving some money on the table, and we don't need to squeeze every drop out of the lemon. Those final drops usually taste sour anyway. Are we interested in increasing profits? Yes. Revenues? Yes. Being more effective? Yes. Making our products easier, faster, and more useful? Yes. Making our customers and employees happier? Yes, absolutely. Do we love iterating and improving? Yup. Do we want to make things better? All the time. But do we want to maximize better through constantly chasing goals? No thanks. That's why we don't have goals at Basecamp. We didn't when we started, and now, nearly 20 years later, we still don't. We simply do the best work we can on a daily basis. But there was a brief moment when we changed our mind. We pinned up a big round revenue target, one of those fat nine-digit numbers. Why not? We thought. We can do it. But after chasing that goal for a while, we thought again. And the answer to why not became very clear. Uh, because one, it's disingenuous for us to pr pretend we care about a number that we just made up. And two, because we aren't willing to make the cultural compromises it'll take to get there. Because let's, let's face it, goals are fake. Nearly all of them are artificial targets set up for the sake of setting targets. These made-up numbers then function as a source of unnecessary stress until they're either achieved or abandoned. And when that happens, you're supposed to pick new ones and start stressing again. Nothing ever stops at the quarterly win. There are four quarters to a year, 40 to a decade. Every one of them has to produce, exceed, and beat expectations. Why would you do that to yourself and your business? Doing great creative work is hard enough. So is building a long-lasting, sustainable business with happy employees. So why impose some arbitrary number to loom over your job? salary, bonus, and the kids' college fund. Plus, there's an even darker side to goal setting. Chasing goals often leads companies to compromise their morals, honesty, and integrity to reach those fake numbers. The best intentions slip when you're behind. Need to improve margin by a few points? Let's turn a blind eye to quality for a while. Need to find another $800,000 this quarter to hit that number? Let's make it harder for customers to request refunds. How about something really audacious? No targets, no goals. You can absolutely run a great business without a single goal. You don't need something fake to do something real. And if you must have a goal, how about just staying in business or serving your customers well or being a delightful place to work? Just because those goals are harder to quantify does not make them any less important. And I found this particularly interesting and was highlighting the hell out of that particular chapter because in the last like six months since I've discovered a book called Traction, which is all about this entrepreneurial operating system, it is so much based around quarterly goals and weekly scorecard metrics and every employee has a number that they're working towards and that number is a marker for their performance mm. and that's how uh you know ap apart from the culture things and value fit uh how the employee is graded and promoted and stuff yeah. is based on that performance which is all yeah. based on a number we've done a little bit of this arbitrary goal setting you know we set our mailing list was at a hundred thousand subscribers a few months ago and we said you know what let's set a but, you know, big goal. Let's aim. Let's aim for 150,000 by the end of the year. And having that goal was useful because then for Angus and for Jakob, our marketing guy, that goal functioned as like a a north star thing of like, oh, okay, cool. So now that we have a goal, let's do all these things that we can do to increase the size of the mailing list. And we've hit the goal three months earlier than expected. So in that sense, like the goal is kind of kind of useful as a point way to point people in a particular direction. But I'm still quite uncomfortable with the idea of goal setting. Um, any thoughts? Uh, it, it seems like it's worth making a distinction between goals and... It's, look, what these guys really object to are <laughs> revenue targets or like growth goals, you know, like yeah. a, a number about how much money you make. That's what they really object to. Whether you define it, whether you write it out explicit, explicitly or not, everyone does kind of have some goals that they're working towards, you know? That goal might be, I want to chill life and not have to spend too much time, you know running my business or something that goal might be i want my business to be the next you know airbnb or whatever you know like every, implicitly you will in your head have some future that you are trying to create or you know that, that you kind of want and so 
I think it's like a you know I I always say this in the context of like modeling as well around like financial modeling etc. And it's like um, you know some people are like oh why do I need like a model? Uh, yeah, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can store it all in your head. But you know wh whether you write it down in a in a causal model or an Excel spreadsheet or not, you do in your head have some process by which you think your company works. And you you know the the goal the goal exists you know whether you write it down or not. The model exists whether you write it down or not. It's often just helpful to make it explicit so that you, uh, you know, you, 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 your assumptions are kind of laid out there. And so I think it's worth distinguishing between, you know, should you have a numerical sort of revenue goal, basically, or not, um, because that's something that not everyone would have. But do you agree that, like, whether you write it down or not, like, you, th there is some imagined future that you are kind of directed towards? Yeah. And so I think for me, as much as I can say, I don't care about subscriber count and stuff, I do care about subscriber count. It's just that when I make it explicit as a goal, it feels like, oh, it feels yeah. dirtier. It feels more explicit. It feels more, more pressure yeah, to yeah. hit a goal. Whereas when I tell myself, as long as the number's going up, I'm, I'm actually easy. As long as the business is profitable, I'm, I'm happy. I don't really yeah. care. I think, yeah, I think that's true to an extent. But also, you know, Angus was asking, asking me this earlier today while we were chilling in the, in the airport lounge, which we had free access to thanks to American Express Business Platinum, lol. Um, he was asking why I don't seem to want to build a bigger business because I just kind of mentioned that throw away over dinner one time that I don't really care about having, having a big business. And he said it was, it was weird because if he were in my position, he'd want to kind of expand the business and grow the team even more and try and build a media company rather than a personal brand. Okay. And I didn't really have a good answer to that other than it just doesn't seem like fun. Yeah. Because anytime I've tried to grow a business in the past, the bigger it gets, the less I am able to do the stuff I actually want to do mm. and the less fun it becomes. That's probably not purely because the business is getting bigger. It's probably because I suck at delegating and leading and yeah, getting, yeah. getting the right management team in place and all, the, all, that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But having never really done that properly, I don't know what it feels like to be able mm. to hand off day-to-day -day responsibilities to a general manager or something like that. Right. It kind of got me thinking like, again, about, about like the goal stuff around, you know, there's a quote from Derek Sivers I often come back to, which is that, never forget why you're really doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you helping people? Are they happy? Are you happy? Are you profitable? Isn't that enough? Yeah. And I think with our business, you know, the YouTube stuff, the courses stuff, is definitely profitable. It's definitely helping people. Most of them are happy. I'm happy. I think most of the team are happy. Yeah. Like, isn't that enough? But at the same time, we also have this like thing of like, oh, but we're going to do 3 million revenue this year and next year we'll be good, good to aim for 10 million. And right. I, I sometimes wonder like, what is the point of all of this? arbitrary number setting mm. how do i deal with this tell me <laughs> i didn't really like um the the base camp philosophy on like revenue goals are bad or anything because like you know, there's, there's many paths up the mountain you know base camp don't you know base camp is a small profitable software business it's extremely niche they seem to be having a good time they don't seem to be you know they seem to care about certain things some people care about other things and like I'm sure setting revenue goals, if, you, if for whatever reason someone cares about building like, you know, uh, a huge company in the next Uber or something, yep. I'm pretty sure setting revenue goals, uh, you know, pro probably for some people would be a good, a good way to get there. Yeah, I think, I think the thing really worth teasing out is like, what are you optimizing for? And like, why might you want to build a bigger business or something like that, right? Th th there's a thing that people say mind on Twitter.com. Uh -huh. <laughs> a mind virus. A mind virus. Now, I, I wouldn't really class this as a mind virus. I think it's just more of like a timeless affliction kind okay. of thing. I see. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a thing that people, sort of Silicon Valley types say on Twitter.com. Uh, there's a phrase... I love how you call it Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> The, the phrase is uh, ch chips on shoulders put chips in pockets. Uh, and there's this kind of narrative uh, which is often like um, put on like immigrants and stuff like that of like, oh, you know, the immigrant comes to, uh, you know, the land of the free and brave, uh, the United States and America. And they have like this chip on their shoulder and wanting to like prove themselves. And that like drives them to, you know, want to like build some massive company type of thing. Um, and there's this, there's this trope of like, people having a chip on their shoulder and that being like the motivating factor for why they want to become successful by traditional metrics, right? And even people who I, I would normally think of as like quite thoughtful, you know, quite, um, you know, quite, quite, quite enlightened. I, I, I would have thought, I, you know, 
people who I would have thought to be, you know, fairly thoughtful, they say this thing about like insecurity being like a, you know, like a, you know, it's, it's cool that like, uh, you know, insecurity is what's driving all these people. Um, and it, it does seem like to a large extent, uh, the, th the thing that motivates a lot of like Silicon Valley types is, is some amount of like keeping up with it. Yeah, you know, just like no just right, normal stuff, right? That like everyone experiences some element of like keeping up with the Joneses, uh, you know, insecurity, wanting to impress people, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think you know, for example, that, that, that's one reason why someone might want to just like make a number get bigger and bigger um, to kind of satisfy that thing. If you are, if you are like insecure and you want to keep up with the Joneses, like, yeah, that's, that's something to solve, but you might as well be making more money while, while you feel while you solve it, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I, th I think, I think like ultimately it just comes down to like, what do you actually care about? Um, do you care about like making more money and, and what, whatever stuff you think comes with that? Or do you care about doing other things? Yeah. I think if you like care about making the number get bigger, I do, I do think a goal would help. Basecamp doesn't care about making the number get bigger. And so if someone wants to get, make the number get bigger, they'd be kind of silly to listen to Jason Fried and DHH. Yeah. It's just about like, why do I want to make the number get bigger? Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe like once a year, you you um, you kind of start saying something, which I, it's 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 sometimes like kind of cringe, um, and I'm not sure how much you actually buy it and whether you're just saying it. It used to be like, oh, I want to be like the most famous medical educator in the world. Mm. I think that was the line. I think these days the line is, oh, I want to be like the next Tim Ferriss kind mm. of thing. I always wonder like why basically, like what's behind that. Mm. I mean, when I say I want to be the next Tim Ferriss, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, and I th okay, I, th uh, I think there's two things. Um, there's one like the personal goal, and then there's one the business vision. And traditional wisdom is that a business should have a vision that the team can get behind. Yeah, for sure. I do think that's, yeah. And if that vision, and, the, and traditional wisdom is, is that vision needs to be sufficiently inspiring to encourage people who are, you know, young and in the prime of their life to yeah. want to spend their life force on building your business kind of thing yeah and so to that extent i do have to uh i do have to give myself a cringe pass yeah and saying in having a vision that you know we want to help people we want to help 100 million people we want to help people do more formats to them or whatever 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 okay uh and the way to doing that is for me to become more famous in the way that tim ferris is famous i.e famous for providing value to a niche group of people yeah and the way we do that is through the content and that that kind of thing when it comes to the personal side of things, on 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 the personal side, I don't really care about those sorts of. At least I don't, I don't I don't think I do. I mean, to an extent, I think when you have more money, you just definitely you 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 generally have more options. And when you have more money and more fame, in a selfish way, it increases your optionality and your ability to do cool things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it also increases the impact you have on people. Yeah. And given that happiness broadly if we want to define it happiness equals having fun and meaning equals helping other people if you can do the whole thing of becoming rich and becoming famous and doing it in a way that keeps it fun yeah then you're ticking that happiness box for yourself and doing it in a way that helps other people you're taking the impact and meaning mm. box and that seems like a pretty decent formula for living, living a meaningful life in that sense i do care about fame and money and something like pointing to someone like Tim Ferriss is like it's like an, a very easy example of like oh this is the sort of thing we're trying to do where okay. through a ton of really valuable free content this guy's built up his brand to the point where he's mega rich and mega famous mega successful yeah. and also has a huge amount of impact yeah so that is why I say cringy things like I want to be the next Tim Ferriss okay yeah I do I do wonder how much like the you know the actual motiv motivating reasons count right like I think uh, uh, an example I always think of right is like going to the gym is objectively a good thing to do for your life. Yep. Now, if, if, if the thing that compels you to go to the gym is that you want to look attractive to the opposite sex, look, you could do worse things than giving into that. If it like gets you to go to the gym, right? <laughs> like you could yeah, become enlightened once you can bench 90 kg, you know, yeah. <laughs> then, then focus on enlightenment. <laughs> but like, you know, so like, I, yeah, I, I do wonder like, if there are strong positive externalities with something and you're doing it for the wrong reasons and like the wrong reasons, are, you know, it's not like, they're, they're not like evil, right? It's like, <laughs> right? like you sorry, know? you know. <laughs> <laughs> then like, how bad can it really be? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I think I think it comes down to what you want. Yeah, I feel like you you one shouldn't go like down the the super extreme of like. I must be intrinsically motivated to do this thing for like noble and virtuous reasons only. Yeah. Because uh, then you're just like sitting in your, in your house and not do jack shit, right? So. Yeah. No, I think that there's a lot of a lot of bullshitting that one does to oneself right. in, yeah. not, in not admitting these things. Yeah. Um, in the interview I did with Stephen Bartlett, we were talking about this. Uh, annoyingly, it kind of it, it got cut from the interview because it was mostly him talking, and he said he wanted to c- cut the bits where it was mostly him talking because his audience have heard that kind of stuff. Uh, but we, we were talking about the whole elephant in the brain type stuff mm. about, you know, is the real reason why I'm I'm keen on building a YouTube channel because I want to help people or is the real reason because I want fame and status and yeah. stuff. And like the reality is it's it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, you got to be honest and be like, hold, hold my hands up. Be like, look, I'm sorry. I like the fact I, I like the money. I like the fame. And I also like the fact that people send comments and mm. come up to me on the streets being like, oh, my God, I love your videos. But yeah. OK, now here's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, like, yes, there are multiple reasons for mm. stuff. But you can remove you can remove certain reasons and think whether you still. Yeah. If it was helping people with no money and no fame, <laughs> let's be honest, you wouldn't be doing it, right? Like, um, well, I mean, I, I need I need money to survive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, but like, come on, like, there there are multiple reasons, but you can also like discount some reasons, right? Okay. As not being necessary. Uh, I mean, I sometimes think about this. So, like, if I were helping people completely anonymously, yeah. If if I were to have for. It, if I were to, for example, be behind the school of life and no one knew what, what my name was, yeah, that would still be pretty cool, because you're helping people. You're building a cool brand. It's kind of fun, yeah. even if I'm not Alain de Botton, but I'm their their director of operations or something. Yeah, when no one knows who you are, but you're still impacting people, that would that would be pretty cool. I mean, yeah, for sure. But if if the option B was to have your own personal brand where you, I'd rather be Alain de Botton for sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I'm helping people and also people know my name. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, but if like, it's the option of getting getting rich and famous without having impact, I wouldn't choose that option. Yeah, I think I think like to some extent, it's it's so. it's just an issue of language of like, you know, if someone else, you know, the question exists, which is that like, well, why are you doing this thing? Yeah. And it's kind of implied that you're supposed to give like a single one dimensional answer. Yeah. And that's not really how it works. And like, fundamentally, like, yeah, there's going to be lots of reasons. Some of them are going to be more virtuous than others of them. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's it's broadly worth considering, like uh, you know, the the path to enlightenment of not having the non-virtuous reasons for doing stuff, as like a, a separate a separate thing, maybe as like the thing, because like you know, for example, I think that again, the gym thing is I think is a good example where you should still go to the gym even if you're doing it for the wrong reasons because yeah. the positive externalities are very strong, and like and eventually you can work and, towards getting to a point yeah. where you. What, what once you've gotten married <laughs> right yeah 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 <laughs> of course yeah well now you can go to the gym just for yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's a good example like why are you doing causal and don't say it's because you just want to change the way people think about numbers <laughs> i want to bring probability to the <laughs> it's quite a lot of work it seems to be quite a lot of stress I, I imagine it's quite fun as well like you wouldn't probably wouldn't have it any other way i think like I don't know what else I'd be doing. Like, what the hell else am I going to do? Okay. I mean, you could come work for me and be our kind of part-time CFO and make 40K for working two days a week. Uh, that, that, that's something you could do. Okay. You could get a job well, at Facebook and make... When fr- can I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can apply for a, on aliabdol.workable.com. You could join Facebook, Google, insert big tech company here, make 200K a year easy. Being a, I don't know, whatever, I don't, doing some HTML and CSS. <laughs> you've got, you've got options. I think. Why are you choosing to do causal? Yeah, I think I need to make some money somehow, right? Okay, fine. You know, I think I'd really struggle to have a real job. Like, I've tried it two times, and I, I, I think I'd, I'd struggle to be motivated okay. to. Okay, uh, fine. You'd, you, it's, it's, it's hard for you to be an employee once you've tasted freedom. <laughs> Even before I tasted freedom. (laughs) You could, if you wanted to, become a professional uh, thought leader through (laughs) twitter.com, through tamor.substack.com, through uh, notoverthinking.com forward slash paid memberships. (laughs) And you could easily tick the box of, uh, you know, earning enough bread Mm. (laughs) through those endeavors. You could write your manifesto about kids. You could literally spend two years of your life blogging about why we we do bad things to kids. yeah. And I'm sure you can find a way to monetize that within like three or six, three to six months. So such right. that you don't need to try and make a startup where you're talking to customers and onboarding them and getting bugs along the way and all this other BS associated with <laughs> Monte Carlo simulations and all this jazz. 
So you, Look, you, I think you, you do have a large amount of options here. Okay, I think there's different questions, right? There's, right? there's there's a question of like, why did you get into it? And there's a question of like, why do you keep doing it, right? And I think like, if you, if for example, you know, you ask someone, why did you, why did you choose to have kids? Mm. I think their answer is probably different than if you ask them, you know, once their kid is a few years old, if you ask them like, why do you keep doing this shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm supposed to want you to put the kid up for adoption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. It's like, dude, what am I supposed to do now? I've got, I've got this fucking kid. <laughs> like, what? Okay. <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> I've got to feed it. I've got to water it. I've got to clothe it. This thing exists. Like, I've got to... <laughs> I've got to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. So I think, like, I think, you know, day to day, like, it's not, you know, some, not something sort of... You don't really think about, like, you just think... It's like, this thing This thing exists. I feel, you know, I feel like it is, like, this sort of very meaningful part of me. I don't know what it's like to have kids. But, like, it's, you know, it's just causal. And, like, I'm not just going to not do that anymore, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I continue to do it. Because, like... I've started, so I'll finish <laughs> that thing. No, I'm happy to quit things. It's just... Yeah, I think, you know, it does it does give me meaning and like it passes the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps me busy. Yeah. No, look, I think I think it, it look, it takes it takes a lot of boxes that I care about in my life. Okay. But really the reason I keep doing it is because it's like this baby, mm. right? That's that's the reason I keep doing it. I'm glad it ticks all the boxes because if it if it was my kid and it wasn't ticking the boxes, like that would be a tough spot to be, <laughs> right? Um, so that's yeah, that's the reason I do it. That's the reason I keep doing it. Uh, I, yeah, I think you know, it, there, I think there are there are other things I would like to do with my life. I'm happy, you know, these days to basically spend all day working or whatever. All right, to be to be clear, I don't actually. I, I have a lot of time for other things. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to like spend a lot of time working you know, get things up and running off the ground. And then, you know, a, a couple of years down the line, you know, hopefully once things, are, you know, things at causal are kind of fully set up and we have like a team in place and so on, and I can focus more on, you know, big picture stuff and not have to like be on calls all day. Then there are other things I care about, you know, the kids thing, you know, there are other projects I, I would like to spend more time on. Uh, Becoming a stand-up comedian writing your own modern family yeah having like a mockumentary tv series um about life at causal yeah maybe <laughs> maybe but yeah for the next couple of years i've got to raise this kid <laughs> and uh i'm not doing best. it for any one specific reason but mm -hmm. like basically i don't like the framing of your question <laughs> is my answer <laughs> The framing of my question did not imply a one-dimensional answer. No, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, I don't, it happens to tick some boxes, and I never wake up wanting to not do it. So okay. that's why I keep doing it, I think. Nice. No, no if, if it didn't tick some of those boxes, maybe there would be more days where I wake up not wanting to do it. Mm. Sure. Fair play. Right. I have a hard stop because I have a session with my writing coach now. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week, hopefully. <laughs> Bye-bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.